fools and ghouls, and welcome to Frightening Tales. I'm your host, Justin, the Ghoul Man Redman, president of the K-Ghoul Horror Film Club and investigator for burgers. I am joined by my co-host, the man with the 12th degree black belt in Jitsu, master flamethrower, Tommy. Pew Pew. Now I have to say, I've enjoyed this bit of uh, vacation out here in this secret island of the Caribbean, lounging about in lazy rivers, going on pirate tours with Captain Davy Jones. This has been an outstanding trip for Seafest. It sure has been. Uh, I've enjoyed these drinks here at Gill's Rum and Cigar Bar, the best rum I've ever had. Uh, some great little drinks here, too. Uh, so far, my favorite's been this uh, Voodoo Queen. Uh, it's got pretty much all kinds of rum. Spiced rum, dark rum, clear rum, pineapple rum, whatever kind of rum. Mix it in with some orange, some lime, some lemon. Give it all the zitrus. And there was even something else uh, that I can't quite um, pronounce. Aganostra bitters or something like that. But this drink's been pretty good. What are you sipping on over there? Oh, this is what they call the devil's margarita. I don't know where Gil got this recipe from, but man, I never expected tequila and red wine and a little bit of lime and citrus to go oh so well. But this was, <laughs> oh man, it was pretty cool too to watch them layer that wine on top of that tequila. Well, I know you're not much of a tequila kind of guy or a margarita, but dude, you really should check this one out. Eh, maybe. So all this month... We have been dedicating our shows and our tales to frightening sea stories, sea monsters, legends, superstitions, all the fun. Uh, because if Shark Week is going to be on Discovery Channel and National Geographic is have a month-long shark fest, let's join in the fun. But we're going to expand out and go to the seas because the shark is not the only top killer out there. I mean, you got killer whales hunting down sharks for their own bladders and... Who knew that uh, the great white shark had something that could actually eat it? And there we go. There was a frightening sea stories. Uh, we're not going to focus a whole lot on killer whales. This tonight, it is all about the sea monsters themselves, our favorite kaijus, our favorite just kind of creatures of lore. So we're going to go ahead and get to our movie tonight. And this one is an amazing one. An island full of telepathic crabs. How'd they get that way? Well, I guess we'll find out here in a moment.
created from the face of the earth, both man and beast and the creeping thing and the fowls of the air. For it repenteth me that I have made them. of the island from this spot, but yet you can feel lack of welcome, lack of abiding life, huh? Yeah, I felt the same when I came here before to rescue your first one. I not only knew that they were gone, but that they were lost completely and forever, body and soul. Please, Lieutenant. Some of those men were our friends from the same institute. I'm sorry, Miss Honey. I'm not so sure you are right, Monsieur Quinlan. Maybe their bodies are gone, but who can tell of their souls, eh? Maybe if I go to them, they will answer. Their ghosts will answer. McLean! Hello! Hello! McLean! Where is the house, Lieutenant? You can't see it from the shore. It's, it's back in the hills, at the head of that gorge, just hidden in the cliff. How fitting. Might as well have a look at it. Well, they're coming in with a second load of supplies from the plane. Now, let me set right up. guy like you ever get involved in demolitions work? Nervous? What do you mean, nervous? I'm not nervous. It's a little high-strung, that's all. Come on, help me get these pineapples inside. You know, I don't know what we're going to use these for out here anyway. That's just a practice pitching for those babies out there. Took his head off. His head? I'm afraid so. We're going to take him back to Andy Weetok for burial. I hope that man's death is not an omen of things to come. Well, frankly, Doctor, I wouldn't care to stay here with you. But if you run into trouble or you need extra supplies, you can always reach the base by radio. And as of this rotten weather, or let us get back to the base at all. Something in the air is wrong. Can you tell me what it is, Lieutenant? Well, I don't know, sir. Maybe it's because there's no sound. No animal noises of any kind.
Looks like we got the dynamite by mistake. Looks like it. I'll cart it back down to the beach. Oh, excuse me, Doctor. That's quite all right. Just call me Marty. Okay, Marty. You know, the Navy boys really fixed this place up. I'm almost going to enjoy being here. Yeah, you'd never think it was a complete wreck a few months ago. If you want to see a wreck, take a look at my back. Yeah, it'll be dark in a few minutes. You want to come watch the takeoff? I'd like to. I'll get the others. Lieutenant, I don't want to annoy you again, but nothing was left? Not a hair, nor a fingernail clipping? Only McLean's journal? Well, that's all, Doctor. That they are dead, I can't believe possible. But to vanish from the face of the Earth? No. The Navy thinks they were all at sea in their small boat when the typhoon hit. Lost with all hands is an old story. Yes, but... Test, the one that blew Ujulap Island right out of the ocean? Well, who forgets that? A tremendous amount of the radioactive fallout came this way. A great seething, burning cloud of it sank into this area, blanketing the island with hot ashes and radioactive seawater. Dr. Vigon's group is here to study fallout effects at their worst. Dr. James Carson is a geologist. He'll try to learn what's happening to the soil. The botanist, Jules Devereaux, will examine all the plant life for radiation poisoning. Martha Hunter and Dale Brewer are biologists. He works on land animalism while she takes care of the seafood. Dr. Carl Vigon is a nuclear physicist. He'll collect their findings and relate them to the present theories on the effects of too much radiation. We blow up mountains for the geologist Carson. But this is the second bunch of brains to come out here. What happened to the first? They were here, and a storm hits, and they were gone. That's all anybody knows. Doesn't anybody wonder? Everybody wonders. They just don't like to talk about it. Come on, we'll miss the takeoff.
Central Station. Probably Manila or Samoa. It's all from beyond the area of disturbance. I don't get a thing on the Navy bands. Keep trying. All those men killed. We can't even send word through this storm. The Navy will send a search plane, honey. No, the Navy will assume that Lieutenant Quinlan decided to remain here rather than risk the storm. I know we talk's probably getting as much static as we are. Probably. Which means we can't do anything until conditions improve. So why don't we let Hank keep trying while we begin our own work? We have to go over McLean's journal sooner or later, so it might as well be now. Then let us go into the living room. Thursday, March 11th. Today, Dr. Vendier's culture failed to produce any sign of bacteria, though left for five days in the open. Friday, March 12th. This afternoon, Professor Carter found a large piece of flesh having the same composition as that of the common earthworm, but measured 24 inches by eight. With this section as a measure, the worm-like creature would be more than five feet in length. Most intriguing is the tissue's consistency. It proves impossible to cut, knives passing through the flesh, leaving no mark. Fire was applied to the tissue, and the calorie result? The journal ends there. It's getting very late. Why don't we work out tomorrow's schedule and then get some sleep? What about that five-foot night crawler? Well, excuse me for being so stupid, me and that book you're reading. We weren't laughing at you, Hank. It's just that McLean didn't really mean to imply that the flesh was from a big worm. He said from a worm-like creature. You know, it might have been a sea worm. They've been known to grow much longer than five feet. Well, excuse me for shooting my mouth off, but the journal didn't say anything about the sea. Just talked about worms. by still I try no rest for cause jobs in my mind on my own here we go welcome back to frightening tales I'm your host Justin the ghoul van Redman and Tommy and I have been chilling out on this secret island in the Caribbean and we've been talking about sea stories last week or we talked about sea stories last week, like the Mary Celeste and the flesh-eating bacteria. Now, we're going to move into sea monsters themselves, the kaijus, the krakens, the, the big old creatures, and not to mention like the creature from the Black Lagoon. So our first monster up is the famous Godzilla. He's been terrorizing the movie screens, Japan, and the United States since 1954. If you don't know who Godzilla is, it's a pretty easy one to Google and find out. But he's a big, giant dragon 
caused by radiation. Now, who knows where the radiation comes from? It depends on who you look at it. Japan would most likely say it's from the U.S. testing all the nuclear weapons out in the Pacific. And it mutated a lizard to, you know, giant skyscraper height with a mouth breathing fire. Oh, yeah. Now, if it was me, I'd be trying to find a way to channel Godzilla through Dante, because that is an upgrade Dante could use. And I bet you them little deadites or whatever those monsters were in Evil Dead Rise, I'm pretty certain Godzilla could handle those. That's a flame beyond flame. So when you're talking about radioactivity and nuclear weapons or even radioactive waste like in the movie empire of the ants where the itty bitty ants starts eating the radioactive waste and they become giant mind controlling ants making people join the hive or the colony that that's uh radioactive radioactivity is pretty lethal i mean it did give a spider-man but for those who don't know, Godzilla falls into the kaiju category, which is basically Japanese for giant monster. I know, very lack of imagination when it comes to things like that, but kaiju just sounds great. I mean, just listen to how many times they said it in the movie Pacific Rim, kaiju, and how they developed the Jaegers to fight the kaiju. Sometimes in Godzilla... They try to form like their own Mecha Godzilla to fight, and that didn't turn out so well. Godzilla tends to win all his fights, except in like the early versions of King Kong versus Godzilla. Uh, King Kong generally uh, wins in that one. Now, that's why I was happy to see uh, the script get reversed during the new Godzilla versus Kong movie. I'll always be on the side of Godzilla. I, I, I love dragons. If you go look at my front porch, my house is guarded by a dragon. Of course, I'm one of the rare people, too, who liked the 1998 version of Godzilla with Matthew Broderick. Uh, there was a lot of funny scenes in there, uh, especially when the cameraman almost got stomped on, uh, Frank Azaria. He's pretty funny in everything that he does. And so when it comes to that version of Godzilla, I also like the, the Taco Bell spots uh, when you had... The Chihuahua saying, yo quiero Taco Bell, and you, everybody was trying to collect the, the letters that spelled out Godzilla to win a million dollars. I was close. I had the Z. I mean, I was only missing the Z. And I had a bunch of friends in the core at the time, and we, we were collecting, and we, we all kind of formed that little pact that if we were able to spell it out, we were going to split the money. Because you know, a, million, a million dollars between a couple of Marines is pretty darn good. Now, I always thought that uh, they could have done a little bit better with the Taco Bell ads at the time. Like I said, the Chihuahua was running around going, tu or going yo quiero Taco Bell, yo quiero Taco Bell, which means you want Taco Bell. I, I thought that, uh, that the Chihuahua should have had uh, an encounter with Godzilla. And uh, Godzilla would go down, would go to eat the Chihuahua and... Uh, the Chihuahua go, Tu quieres Taco Bell, Tu quieres Taco Bell, No quiero Chihuahua, No quiero Chihuahua. I always thought that would have been a funnier ad, and uh, I probably would have bought more Taco Bell. Oh, what am I talking about? I would have bought Taco Bell anyway, because that was the late night go-to. After we finished our uh, night out at the karaoke bar singing and having a bunch of fun, Taco Bell was close by, and we would quickly grab a chili cheese burrito at that point. 
Now, another thing that I loved about Godzilla and its impact on pop culture, you go back to a, a late 80s movie with John Cusack, Bobcat Goldwith, uh, Demi Moore. It's called One Crazy Summer. Uh, basically, John Cusack goes to his friend's house for the summer, meets Demi Moore, and they got all kinds of problems. Well, Bobcat Goldwith is uh, one of the Stork twins, and they're tasked with guarding uh, a movie prop company because they are there filming a version of Jaws, but it's more like a dolphin with rabies attacking everybody. Well, Bobcat Goldwaith's character is supposed to be watching or keeping an eye on the, the supposed villain. And, well, he notices that they go away, and so he's got to go run and catch up and spy on them. But he just happened to be stuck in a Godzilla costume. And this is where it gets hilarious. Because Bobcat's trying to get away, but the someone threw a cigar that landed in the mouth of the Godzilla costume. So Bobcat is walking all over the top of the uh, model representation of a community that is trying to be, uh, that the villain wants to build there. And it's hilarious to see Godzilla in that uh, aspect. Now, we are going to get a new Godzilla movie this year. Apparently, Godzilla Minus One takes place in Japan, a post-war Japan. And, well, they thought that the war was over and that they could start rebuilding, and Godzilla showed up. Now, there is a new trailer for it. Uh, there's not a whole lot to it. It's about 30 seconds long. There's really... The only voice that you hear in there is in Japanese. And so I'm not going to play that for you. But you do hear... The, the famous roar. And have, have you ever wondered how that roar came about? Well, it's easy. The composer for Godzilla, he wanted something different. He didn't want to use any more animal samples to make any more noises. So what he did was he took a string off his contrabass and rubbed it with gloves soaked in pine tar. That, that's pretty cool. Just like uh, in Jurassic Park, how they used... Uh, I forgot what note on the guitar string to create the ripple effect for the Tyrannosaurus walking up. That was pretty cool. Well, let's go ahead and get back to our movie here on Frightening Tales. When we come back, I'm going to have a little bit of a uh, Norse mythology for you. Nothing in my experience leads me towards McLean's worm theory. Nothing. You would know better than I. But why, I asked, did the writer stop in the middle of a sentence? Yes, why, Carl? Unless something really unusual happened, I'm sure he would have finished. We shall find out, I think. Well, Jim and I will head down the South Valley in the morning. You know, I haven't seen any insect life since we arrived. Shh. Quiet. Listen.
nearly frightened me to death. Well, no, I couldn't very well announce myself underwater, could I? Besides, you looked scared down there. Well, I was scared. And lost, too. You know, Dale, it's funny, but I was using a big black rock as a landmark. But when I swam back, the rock was gone. Well, I did see something move near you. You did? I wonder what it could have been. I don't know. Just a big black shape moving through the kelp. Land crabs and seagulls. <laughs> Everything else is dead. Help! Arthur! What's the matter, Carson? Come up the path. We'll meet you. Come on, Adam. Oh, hold it. That Rachel drop right off. Off what? Come, see for yourself. Only this morning I came along this path on my way to the beach. And it wasn't there. You mean this pit wasn't here before? It has only appeared in the last 20 minutes. And it's at least 50 feet deep. Nothing but land crabs. I want to go down there. No. Why not? You are a geologist. You know that a second disturbance would cause a cave-in that would crush anybody down in the pit. Seems pretty definite, Jim. Is he right about a cave-in? He could be, assuming this was caused by a disturbance. Why, it's glazed as though it had been fired in a kiln. Summers, you and fellows better put a couple of your lanterns around this pit so as to keep any of us from falling in in the middle of the night. Okay. Come on, honey, let's go back to the house. Called me as plain as day. Strange, because I only heard him call my name. How could the Navy search this whole island and miss a survivor? If he is a survivor. What does that mean? You heard him as well as I? Well, someone could have been imitating his voice. Well, who would do that? I don't know, but I do know that McLean's dead. Maybe, maybe not. I'm going to find out for sure. Jim, you're not going down there. Yes, I am. What cause against it? He's afraid of cave-ins. I'm not. Keep this on me, I'm out of sight. Jim, you don't know what's down there. 
What could be other than earth, water, and a few land crabs? No more. Oh, it's all right, honey. It's all right. Where's Jim? He's in the pit. He went into the pit. I saw the rope go slack. He must have fallen during the quake. I warned him. Carson! Can you hear me? Are you alive? My leg. It's broken. We are coming for you. Don't try to move. No, Jules. But we must go down to him. Not this way. The rope may be too short. Then how? Through the caves. The great caves to the sea. But how do you know the caves connect with the pit? Uh, gentlemen, for reasons I have guessed, uh, Dr. Carson also, these caves must join the pit, because the pit was created from below, not from the surface. Dale, take Martha back to the house. The rest of us will look for Dr. Carson. I'm all right. They'll need you with them. If we can bring Dr. Carson out, two of us are enough. If we can't, a whole army will do us no good. Are you hiding something from us, Doc? A theory, perhaps? Maybe. Come. We must hurry. You all right? Just a little shaky. Let's get back to the house and get some coffee. I thought you were the boogeyman. I thought we heard a girl screaming during the quake. Did part of the cliffs fall away into the sea? Part of them? Well, it was pretty dark where we were, but it looked like the whole island was coming down. The boulders almost crashed us in the tent. The whole island, yes. We must go faster. There is very little time. Little time for what? That is Dr. Wagon's small secret. Let us catch him and find out. creatures as these. Oh, helpless things. Helpless nothing. You ever see a bunch of them start on a wounded Marine? They finish them off in five minutes. So more reason to get Jim out of that pit. Yes. Woke up underwater, searching at the car. I couldn't get any farther from the daylight. Was I still dreaming, stuck to a machine, or choking and screaming with my hands tied? Calling and calling, but nobody comes. Falling and falling, no air in my lungs Getting so comfortably numb Don't know how I open up my eyes But I'm still alive. Who 
welcome back to Frightening Tales. I'm your host, Justin, the ghoul man, Redman. And Tommy is here with me as well. We're still hiding out in the island, this hidden island out in the Caribbean, enjoying some good cigars, some good drinks, some fun. And uh, I've noticed there's been quite a few monsters hanging around here. I wish we could get a chance to interview some more of them, but uh, they all seem to be minding their own business, just kind of relaxing. Yeah, I just saw the Loch Ness Monster over there. Apparently she's got some wormhole that she can use to get from here to Scotland. That's pretty cool. And then, of course, we've seen other little sea creatures, mermaids, giant crabs, everybody of the seahorse races, the seahorse chariot races. Man, it's been a blast over here. So it's been Sea Fest for us. Like I said, National Geographic's got their Shark Week later on this month, which I'm going to have my favorite shark movies for you at that around that time as well. Uh, today we're talking about sea monsters. Last segment we talked about Godzilla and just how fun Godzilla could be. So now let's move on to the next giant sea creature of legend. And this one comes to us from Norse mythology. This is Jörmungandr. Yeah, my Swedish is a little rough, so I'll probably say it five different ways before we finish this segment. But this is the Midgard Serpent, or the World Serpent. Basically, the equator is uh, where he resides. Uh, he's one of the, the serpents that bites his own tails, or the Oribus from the Greek legends. But in Norse mythology, the Midgard Serpent is Thor's biggest foe. They never quite defeat each other. Uh, there's a famous story for Thor going out fishing. The uh, the giant that he's with refuses to give Thor fish bait. So Thor takes the anchor, cuts the head of an ox, and uses that as a fishing hook and captures the Midgard serpent. Some stories say he kills him there, but no, that's not where the, the mythology goes. The mythology says that Thor and the Midgard serpent will have one final fight during Ragnarok, and it's the serpent that finally is, is the one that kills Thor, but that's after Thor kills him. So you get to keep a little bit of that balance there. Now, when we're looking at uh, the world serpents, uh, a lot of our sea stories that have been told by the seafarers, and they, this goes way back, well, I mean, it's Norse mythology, so you know how far back it goes, that a lot of our stories deal with either sea serpents or, as we'll talk about in the next segment, Krakens, giant octopuses, or other kind of sea creatures like that. But Jormungandr is the son of Loki. He's one of three children of Loki. Fenrir the wolf, Hel, the goddess of the underworld, and then, of course, Jormungandr, the serpent of the world. And it is said that when Ragnarok happens, the Midgard serpent will let go of his tail and the world will simply just fall apart. That he's what holds the two halves of the world together. Pretty cool on North mythology there. I love studying the Norse mythology. The stories are so much cooler the, uh, compared to Greek or Romans. They're, they're, they're flawed. The gods are flawed. It's, I, I tend to um, agree with them a lot more. And when it comes to Loki's children, Fenrir the wolf is my absolute favorite of the three. Uh, it's actually the favorite character out of Norse mythology. And I can dedicate an entire episode to that, so I'm not going to really uh, dwell too much more on Fenrir here. So let's get back to our movie on Frightening Tales.
Now, what do you want with McLean's journal now, honey? I just thought I'd look through it and see what it was Max said about those great caves appearing the sides of the hills. Well, it didn't say much, except that it always happened at night. It was right in here. There it is again. Another quake. No, the other sound. I heard it at the pit. We both hadn't heard it, I swear, it was my own imagination. Dear, what can it be? I don't know, but I'm gonna find out, and I'll stay here, Mommy. Don't go in there. Kerosene lamps, will you, honey? considering the size of the thing that did all of this. I guess there's no point waiting for the rest to get back. The storm should have let up enough for me to get through to the Navy now. Come on, honey. Oh, Dale.
Whatever it was that did this deliberately destroyed the radio. It had to be deliberate. Every piece of wiring has been ripped out and chopped to bits. Look, every tube has been sliced neatly in half. And it had to reach way inside to do it without wrecking these cabinets. Well, all I can say is, why wasn't I invited to the party? Not funny, eh? Well, that's as it should be. Do you think you can fix it? Fix it? I'll need a whole new outfit from the bottom up. You have parts? Enough to build a new one? I don't know. Why do you suppose it didn't come through the door and get us, girl? I don't know. I can only guess. It would take considerable power to keep the intruder behind this door. There is power in the lighting in the living room. You mean it's afraid of electricity? I think so. Have you any other ideas? Once upon a time, there was a mountain. Hmm? Yesterday, when we came to this island, there was a mountain out there. Today, there's no mountain. I am not surprised. You're not surprised at anything, are you, Doctor? I suppose you can tell us what tore up this room last night. No, I cannot tell you that. But I can tell you this. Everything that has happened from the death of the first sailor to the destruction of our radio must be somehow related. They are too far from the normal scheme of things to be separate accidents. If there is a single cause, then that cause is outside of nature as we know it. Yes, that is why I insisted on caution entering the caves. We are unquestionably on the brink of a great discovery. It is not likely that that discovery will be of a pleasant nature. That is the sum of my knowledge. If you need more, I suggest you ask Dr. McLean when next his voice calls in the night. Now, let us again seek Dr. Carson. Understand this. We've covered every exit from the base of the pit. Wounded as he was, he couldn't have crawled this far. And yet, still no sign of him. No, we'll be, eh, Carl? Jules will not be alive. Come, give us a hand. This will help you sleep, Jules. Thank you, Martha. I could use some sleep. Monsieur, madame, 
Je voudrais présenter pour votre inspection la seule fleur unique au monde. Careful, you'll raise us both ten feet. What's the matter, nervous? What do you mean, nervous? Okay, what do you got? Three queens. Well, big deal, so you finally won a hand. I'm still 106 of dynamite and one wild explosion ahead of you. <laughs> What's that? Sounds like a kid dragging a stick across a picket fence. We ain't got no picket fence out here. Tales. I am Justin, the ghoul man, red man, and I'm joined by Tommy. And this next section is the one that's probably going to be the most fun because we see this in all kinds of uh, movies and even most tales of uh, legends of the Kraken, the giant octopus that attacks the ship, the tentacles picking off the crew one by one. I mean, let's look at some of the great examples of the 20,000 leagues under the sea. We're fighting at close quarters with the most tenacious of all sea beasts. Stay clear of the tentacles. They'll seize anything within reach and hang on to the death. The only vital spot is directly between the eyes. Already beaten surfacing, sir. Stand by. And then we got um, Clash of the Titans when Zeus goes. Release the Kraken. And then, of course, Davy Jones from the Pirates of the Caribbean. He has his own Kraken because he unleashes it to go track down Jack Sparrow and bring the Black Pearl back down to the depths from where they came. Now, I think my favorite memory of a giant octopus comes from the movie Popeye, the Robin Williams version, 1980s. I mean, there's no other Popeye's movie since then. But uh, the scene is pretty good because you got Bluto beaten up on Popeye. And Pappy's up there going, you should have ate your spinach. And uh, that's when Bluto discovers the treasure that he's been seeking is nothing but spinach and makes Popeye eat the spinach. I know, stupid rookie mistake there, because once Popeye eats his spinach, he's strong to the finish. Okay, enough of that. But while he's fighting Bluto, olive oil is stuck in something from a ship and an octopus is trying to take off from her. Well, 
Once Popeye finishes beating up Bluto, you just see him surge into water like a torpedo and just knocks the Kraken out. Of course, we know there's a lot of science behind uh, whales and giant squids, so the possibility of one attacking a ship probably never actually happened. I've seen video where fishermen accidentally catch an octopus or squid, and they uh, and they're still alive, so they help them get back into the ocean. But in a lot of cases. The, the Kraken is probably just mistaken identity like anything that we've ever seen when it comes to sea legends. Well, let's go ahead and go back to our creature feature here on Frightening Tales. Professor Deborah. Who is there? Seaman Ron Phillips. And Sam Summers. We found Dr. Crasson. Where are you? We're outside. We can take you to Dr. Carson, but you've got to be quiet. Very quiet. Will you come? Yes. Come down the path toward the big pit. We'll meet you there and lead you to Carson. I will be there. you were talking in your sleep. Ah, yes. Then I hope I did not blemish the reputations of any fair ladies I may have known. You didn't mention any names. I never asked any names. Tell me of this cry you heard. It sounded like you. Like you would have sounded in your death agonies. It could hardly have been me, Doctor. When I have been here all the time, dreaming of all the things I might learn to do with only my left hand. I dreamed it was fixed with a book, and when I... Congratulations, Dr. Weiger. Where are you? Where all of you soon will be. I shall be back tomorrow night. Bonsoir. Devereaux! Devereaux! What does it mean, Doctor? He is dead. But he spoke, Carl. It's supposed to be a ghost story? No. No, I do not believe in ghosts. We are dealing with a man who is dead, but whose voice and memory live. How this can be, I do not know. But its implications are far more terrible than any ghost could ever be. 
But what happened to their bodies, girl? They were eaten. Even the bones? The bones are, I think, hidden. Most of the dynamite is gone. Huh? Dynamite? But not for grenades. I don't understand it. I don't understand it. Well, I may as well pick up what's left. Yes, we shall need them. We shall have to stay away from the beach hereafter. Come, Hank, we still have the radio to repair. Tonight, we will wait for Jules to speak to us. Well, it's long after dark. You should have heard him by now. We will hear. Be patient. Good evening, mes amis. I am glad you are all still with us. Be not shocked that the weapon speaks. I transmit, so I must be received. Arken to all things metal, for I may be in them. What do you want? First, I want to reassure you that I am of sound mind, if not of body. Something remarkable has happened to me. I would like all of you to come and see for yourselves. Where are you, Joe? In the caves at the bottom of Carson's pit. And what about Carson? I'm here too. My leg no longer troubles me. It's almost exhilarating. Will you come? Yes. Wait for us. We'll wait. Let's go. Dale. We shall need the equipment. We must go. We have to find out. through it like a finger through mercury. Then, like a river of mercury, we should be able to sever a part of it by completely separating it from the rest of the body. Firstly. There. Now we have a specimen. Set your dynamite, Hank. Do you have any theories, Doctor? Perhaps. All I can tell you now is that this is a male land crab which you as a biologist will know better than I. Yes, Carl, I, I know the species appears to be that of an ordinary land crab, but... 
destroy me. This, mes amis, was one great mistake. Tales. I am Justin, the cool man, Redman, and I'm joined by Tommy. Now we're up to what is our favorite Universal classic movie. Hey, speak for yourself. I like a little bit of other stuff. Or my favorite Universal monster, and that is the creature from the Black Lagoon, which, Tommy, doesn't he look a whole lot like our, our host for this weekend? He sure does. I wonder if he went to bartending school to learn how to make these drinks. Good possibility. So The Creature from the Black Lagoon is another 1954 hit. So in 1954, we had Godzilla and The Creature from the Black Lagoon. Now, I I think I figured out why this one is the better one. They actually shot this movie in 3D. You actually had 3D glasses to wear, even though it's black and white. A lot like the uh, movie 13 Ghosts that we played a few months back. So that that was pretty cool. It's probably why it's the effects are better and the story's better. And that, that's what I really like about uh, The Creature from the Black Lagoon. Uh, there, there's music. It's just better storytelling. And even getting to see it on the big screen was amazing. Uh, that was another one of those regal Halloween things where they brought back some of the classics. And they put that one on the big screen. And I'm glad I took the time out of my schedule to go watch that one. Yeah, I, I enjoy watching some of them older movies on the big screen. You get to see something a little bit better, a little bit different. And uh, it's not uh, remade like uh, some of these other movies. Now, when it comes to the Gilman himself, they've actually made three movies, including The Creature from the Black Lagoon. They also made Revenge of the Creature, which I hadn't taken the time to watch that one. And then The Creature Walks Among Us. Uh, last year, when I learned about that one, that's when I discovered uh, or learned that, hey, they made actually made three of these movies. And Creature That Walks Among Us was where they bring the creature back to mainland and he basically evolves into some kind of more humanoid. He gets rid of the gills, develops lungs. And again, it's another tragic love story for him. I mean, the whole reason that he is attracted to the woman is because it's survival instincts, you know, got to procreate, got to keep the race going. Now, after the creature movies, you probably, you don't see another creature or another gill man creature until the monster squad. Yep, here we go again. Somehow or another, you find a way to link back to the Monster Squad. Boy, oh boy. But you're not wrong. Now, the, the Gilman for 
the Monster Squad was a Stan Winston creation. It was also scuffed, uh, and it was also sculpted by the man that would wear it in the suit, Tom Woodruff Jr. He has a great story that came from Wolfman's Got Nards, where he talks about how uh, the director and everybody's like, "Well, do you have your 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 monster walk yet?" And he was like, "There's a monster walk." And he has by far one of the best monster walks ever. And then he also has a a great monster death scene on top of it. Because Horace, who's defending the bullies from the Gilman, and uh, at first Horace is trying to get in to the building that they're in. They're like, no way, fat boy, no way, fat boy, you're not coming in here. And uh, it's played by... um, Oh wow! Like Jason Narvi, I think his name is, and he he always, he played the older brother in Wonder Years, and he always plays like a bit of a bully. Well, in this scene, you know they won't let him in. Horace has a shotgun, and he finally decides to use the shotgun, and down goes Gilman. Now Gilman didn't have a whole lot of uh, screen time in this movie. You've seen him in the water bringing up the uh, the coffin of Frankenstein or the crate of Frankenstein out of the lagoon that it dropped in, and then you see him in that scene on the final attack on the city or the town. And since Monster Squad, we haven't seen any kind of version of Gilman. Uh, you see him in toys, masks, costumes, and everything else, but not really in any movies. Uh, there might have been a talk of reboots for the Marvel Cinematic, not the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Yeah, son, get that one right. The monster universe that they were trying to create. You know, they started with the mummy and it ended with the mummy. Uh, I still think they should have gone on with it because Russell Crowe was playing a great Jekyll and Hyde. Well, anyway, let's get back to our creature feature here on Frightening Tales. Well, Doctor. Oh, this is ridiculous. The molecular structure of this crab is entirely disrupted. There's no cohesion between the atoms. I don't understand. Nor do I. Apparently, we have one of those uh, biological freaks resulting from an overdose of uh, radiation poisoning. The way to explain it is, look, electricity. The free electron in the copper atom breaks off to circle the next atom, taking the charge along the wire. Do you follow me, Hank? I think so. The free electrons jump from atom to atom along the copper at the speed of light. I remember that from high school. Yes, atom to atom. Well, something like that has happened to our crab. But instead of free electrons, the crab has free atoms, all disconnected. It's like a mass of liquid with a permanent shape. Any matter, therefore, that the crab eats will be assimilated in its body of solid energy, becoming part of the crab. Like the bodies of the dead men? Yes. And their brain tissue, which after all is nothing more than a storage house for electrical impulses. That means that the crab can eat his victim's brain, absorbing his mind intact and working. It's as good a theory as any other to explain what's happened. But doctor, that theory doesn't explain why Jules and Carson's minds have turned against us. Preservation of the species. Once they were men, Now they are land crabs. Okay, Professor, how are the crabs blowing up the island? I am not sure, but imagine they are able to send out arcs of heat. They are packed with it. The sides of the pit were glazed as if the rock were melted. They can melt and fuse parts of the caverns, explode the materials contained, and bring about the slides. Why? To get at us, of course. Looks like we're on the verge of a blessed event. What's that? 
What's that? Or is this the one you killed? No, it is still alive. We did not kill it. Notice the belt of yellow fatter on the base of the shell? It would indicate that she's in a very delicate condition and pretty close, too. I, for one, should not like to be around to hear the patter of so many tiny feet. And we've got to kill it. Kill it? It's easier said than done, Hank. Oh, now, wait. This needs some thought. Doctor, you're not going to suggest that we save it for science. That would be suicide. No, thank you, Martha. I have no ambition toward becoming a mad scientist. But I do think we ought to try and capture the thing. Would you not like to examine a live specimen? Certainly I would. But I had a chance to see how the specimen examined the lab wall last night. Hey, take a look at this. You said something about the crab being afraid of electricity, Doctor. Let's find out. Ashes. The electricity destroyed the leg in less than a second. That proves that the crab is negatively charged. Yes. Then, Hank, you must create a trap of positive energy. Ha! It works! Well, sure it does, Doctor. It's easier to build than a model airplane. The charge must be just strong enough to de-energize the crab. Long enough for us to remove the claws and cage it. But not strong enough to kill the thing. Well, that's fine, Carl, but how do we get the crab to step into it? Apparently, the creature sleeps by daytime. We must take the ark and place it in one of the well-traveled cave routes. He has eight legs with which you step on the plate. I am sure he will manage. Yes, but you'd better select a new approach to the cave. The beach entrance is completely underwater and the pit is... He is using the dynamite. We must hurry. already lowered the electric eyes into the cave? Yes, you must place them either side of one of the upper caves. The lower caverns will be flooded by now. Use the underwater channels to the ocean as your escape. We'll try to attract his attention from up here. Take care, honey. This one, you take the other. All right. Lonesome in here. It's lonesome everywhere. You know, I bet you could even be lonesome in a crowd. Of course, you found that special someone. Have you found him yet? Why do you ask? Because I... Behind that wall! This might be the perfect time to collect some of Dr. Bygan's mercury. If I can't make it back, you get out of here as fast as you can. Thank you.
run across the bottom of the pit into another cave. Martha! Let's get down to the sea entrance. receiving radio signals. They would prefer to receive us in that great common stomach of theirs. Well, come on, Carl. Let's go out and see what's left of this rock. I hope there is still something left upon which to stand. Well, I guess it's about time I fixed her some food. there for maybe two miles. Now there's less than half a city block. Soon we will have nowhere to run. That's the idea, isn't it? The path is still there. Yes, Carl, but where does it lead? To the pit and to the sea. At least to the sea. We'll soon find out. Code setup. 
Well, we don't have to worry about the pit any longer, Carl. No. Shall we go? Might as well. It's not wasting any time. Sound came from over there. Let's go. Oh, Hank, I don't know what we'd have done without you. Where did you ever learn to fix all these things? In the Navy during the war. And I knocked around a lot in the radio and the TV repair business. You ended up in the South Pacific. Yeah. How'd you get here? Well, after Dale and I graduated, we stayed on at the Institute in research. You've been together ever since? Uh-huh. And when his promotion comes through, we'll be making it a lifetime partnership. Yeah. Well, let's go find Carl and Dale and tell them this thing works. Is that not oil? Yes, it is, Colonel. I've never heard of oil being found on the Pacific Islands before. The detonations must have opened a source deep in the island. But look, it seems to be coming from two sources. I suggest we trace them. Do you want to follow this oil underground? I feel we must. But the crab, girl. The crab is like a rattlesnake. It can be heard long before it can be seen. I believe we can keep out of its way if we only remain alert. He knows this better than we do. That is why he's trying to reduce this island to a small corner from which we cannot escape. All right. But at the first sound of a rattle, get out of it, huh? All right. Don't worry. Don't worry. You follow this stream, and I shall follow the other one. Why did he go? Never mind. The crab is heading straight for him. We've got to get him out before it's too late. Now let's go. Stay there, Marty.
Did you kill it? No. He can avoid the mainstream. Of all of us, I thought Carl would be the one to... That fire won't hold it very long. I don't think it matters much anymore. Well, just so it holds it long enough for me to get one message away. Just one more SOS. Hank, you got the radio? That was quick thinking, Dale. The pity is that all fires must one day burn out. You getting through, Hank? How should I know? I'm not on the other end of this thing. Oh, Hank, you must get through. I know it. It's gone dead. <laughs> I am afraid that won't help you, Hank. By the time ships and planes can arrive, this island will have vanished beneath the waves of the sea. But you will not drown. You will be a part of me. And as with McLean, there will be no evidence of how you vanished or of my existence. We will rest in the caves and plan our assault upon the world of men.
Frightening Tales. Now, that's one of my favorite uh, creature features that we just played there. Uh, I enjoyed the the giant crabs. They're uh, pretty tyrannical in their their thoughts. And something about the old scuba diving scenes from the 50s, the the shorts, the full complete mask, the the tank and all that, that I really kind of uh, enjoyed (laughs) from all those kind of movies. I don't know about that look that I really like. And it kind of, it's kind of what persuaded me to do scuba diving. Yeah, but them, them crabs are crazy. How in the world did uh, radioactivity give them that much intelligence, give them those kind of powers? I mean, you would almost think those were aliens. We know a fair share of aliens. But that is uh, one of the few, I mean, when I say few, I mean, that's a handful of the uh, creature features from that time frame that we're like. And uh, it's kind of weird to see that movies from the 1950s, 60s were a little bit weird, but 70s horror movies, there's not a whole lot in there that I like. Find most of those boring. Like, uh, like they digress back to the 1930s classic horrors. Yeah. And I think for me, it's that, uh, that 70s music that goes along with it. That just, just doesn't go with it and makes me lose interest in them. But there's a few good ones in there. Well, that's going to wrap up this episode of Frightening Tales. If you have a story idea or even a lead for a Burgers Investigations, email it to me at kghoulradio at gmail.com. I'm your host, Justin, the Ghoul Man Redman, and I'm Tommy, and we'll see you next time. Next week, we're going to look into the actual sea legends themselves, like Captain Davy Jones, 